You were just like I did at your age. Please don't say that, Dad. I'm 16 years old. I'm not a child. Don't you take that tone of voice with me, young lady. Love you, Dad. I love you too, son. You're listening to Honey, We Made a Disney Podcast. Two friends since you had to choose sides between NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. Now dad's reliving the Disney movies we grew up on with our own kids. I'm J.B. Wagner. And I'm Eddie Ferguson. And on today's episode, we stick to the code as we review Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. But before that, J.B., how are you and the family doing? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, got to spend some time tonight uh, putting some Legos together with my son. But it's been a rough go for my wife right now. She's pregnant. She is also in this mode now where she realized that if we don't get our daughter potty trained quickly, she will move into the next baby coming soon, coming soon uh, later this spring. And it will be seven straight years of doing diapers nonstop at some point for the past seven years and without a break. So that's what we're, that's the new goal. But man, my daughter is not making it easy. She totally gets it, totally understands. And for the most part, does a good job with it. But for some odd reason, several times a day, she just decides, yep, mm-hmm. going to poop my pants. Mm-hmm. Just going to just gonna go for it. No, mm-hmm. no, no rationale. And then obviously lies when we say, did you poop your pants? And you smell really horrible. No, 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 no not no. at all. So some days are good. Some days are bad. Tonight was just one of those nights where it's just like, why? She's just sitting there. And then all of a sudden she's like, what? What'd you do to your leg? Oh, no, that's poo-poo. She's like, oh, my gosh. Where did this poo-poo come from? And then straight to straight to the bathroom. Just one of those times, Eddie. It's tilled as old as time, trying to potty train, little kids. And, and most of the time, it, for at least or with our son, it was like, no, no desire whatsoever. And then, okay, got it. Good. Moving on. Like we're, we're good with her. It's been, she's in this weird, messy middle, all the puns intended. (laughs) It's just a weird, messy middle. She's like, I totally understand. And I will cooperate sometimes and not cooperate other times. And we're like, I almost wish it was just one or the other sometimes, but my wife is is the main person doing it. And it is, it's, it's a struggle right now. It's good to hear you say that because. Yes, with um, right before a third was born, Lewis was the same. He just was like, okay, I'm ready. I want to do this. And we had him potty trained within like a weekend. Mm-hmm. Like he still needed to wear pull-ups at night, but like, boom, during the day, done. Like, this is amazing. And it was crazy because everybody told us, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but everybody told us, boys are so hard to potty train. Girls are super easy. And we're like, whoa. Well, if they are liars, if he is like, yes, they are liars because Eileen (laughs) has taken forever. It has been like three months of this because she, you're not encouraging us, Eddie, because we have just fully started this month. It has been so hard with her. And a lot of it is she, same sentiment where she's like, she's interested. Yeah, I want to do this. We make the little potty chart. 
We even like put like Elsa and Anna clip art on there where it's like, okay, you got to fill out so many like snowman squares. Do you have the doll, like, have the doll prize do, that we, we have, have sitting on our prize? Yes. Yes. We're mm-hmm. like, here's what you're going to win. You're going to win this full like, uh, like little people uh, frozen set is what yep. she wants. So this is the goal. Meh. And then there's just days where it's like, I'm going to poop over here and I'm going to pee over there. And it's the oh, Yeah. There's something girl something, girls yeah. have been at least yeah harder. Here. Granted, I think we have the same like our girls are basically the same person to some mm-hmm. degree. Like we have mm-hmm. the same same struggles. So maybe there's two peas in a pod and they just Yeah. But it is hard. Us. We luckily Lewis potty trained right before Asa was born. Otherwise, I don't think we could survive like because we have two in diapers right now and it is the edge of insanity Yep. at all times because inevitably you're ch- you have to change both at the same time. And it's just like, <gasps> I can't do this. I can't handle this. Yeah, I hard feel pass. for I hard feel pass. for that's so hard, but OK, <sighs> it's OK, because enough about me. We've got some a lot of Disney news to cover today. A lot of things dropped either midweek last week or uh, end of the week, and there's just there's just too much. Like we we we've got it. We've got to dedicate a good amount of time to this. So this this episode might go long because I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about our movie of today. First, being uh, right before we launched last week's episode, uh, Marvel dropped a brand new trailer during uh, some football games during the national championship game last week and uh it was it was super cool we have uh more ant-man more more part of the story for ant-man and the wasp quantum mania eddie what do you think about this trailer this uh trailer for the first time made me like legit excited for this movie um i think all the previous trailers focused too much on the quantum realm and just kind of the that whole thing and then you know also focused a lot on scott lang and kind of what he's going through this trailer to me felt like the first time that we had kang and like a full trailer introduction to kang which was good because we already know he's there he was big in the loki series so it's like why are you why are you holding this and so this this made me excited like Okay, I'm I'm getting to feel out a little bit more what the central conflict of this film is going to be with Kang and and Ant Man and and all of that. So I'm I'm excited. Yeah, it seems to me that um, just from the little bit that we saw is Scott Lang basically makes a deal with Kang as he's talking about um, how he missed that time. And so evidently Scott's making a, d- a deal with Kang to go back and be able to spend those years with. His daughter Cassie. This is just all hearsay of what we're trying to figure out um, based on what just some of the dialogue was at. And there's even a moment in the end where it's like we had a deal, and evidently there was some sort of a twist, or he pulled the rug out from under him. A um, lot of lot of context, a lot of uh, titles in here about the start of the next dynasty. Uh, so they're really really setting this up. I did enjoy just kind of rewatching it a couple times, like seeing the little nuances of, of that, of what that story is going to be, because you're right. Like just the crazy, we, as we've kind of bemoaned on this podcast, the crazy time travel stuff and the multiverse and all of that is just, it's kind of like, I'm it's starting to 
wear on us a little bit. So it was good to finally see, okay, why are they doing all of this? And there's something right. with him and his daughter. She even says in there, it's all my fault. Like there's something there with that. So I think that did, I think you're right. It did pick me up a little bit to um, see more of a storyline kind of evolving as we are here just a couple of weeks away, um, about, a, about a month away um, from release date. We'll see. Um, you know, uh, phase four has not been too great. So I'm, I'm apprehensive, but this is supposed to start phase five. So it's like a new year. It's a clean slate, fresh start. New opportunity, Here we go. Marvel. Also new things happening. Eddie, I texted you and said, we need seven minutes on all the Disney parks updates that dropped last week. There's a lot of stuff. I don't know if you have seven minutes worth, but I just wanted to give you the floor to just educate our, our people, even though we don't talk a ton about the parks here, I felt like this was worth worth talking about because there's a lot. Yeah. So I think to, to kind of fully understand this, you got to think back to like 2015, even, you know, that's just seven years ago. Um, you could go to Disney World and they would give you a free ride from the airport to the resort on the Disney Magical Express. Or you could drive and park for free at a hotel. Um, you got free magic bands. You didn't have to pay park reservations. All of these different things. It was all of these. It, it, it was the Disney difference, right? They just went above and beyond with so many different things like that. Um, and then come like, 2020 they just started stripping all of that away yeah all of that away like you don't get anything for free plus oh by the way we're starting to increase prices on everything so the the fan community i think in general was bemoaning not just the loss of all of these free things quote-unquote free but also you're beginning to take away a whole bunch and increase the price so, whoa, what's the value? We're actually paying more but getting less now? That doesn't make sense. So, um, this past week, they announced a couple of big things. For Disneyland, they're increasing substantially the amount of reservations, the different key holders, what used to be pass, um, uh, pass holders were, uh, how many reservations they can make and how many different opportunities and stuff, which is really big because... Uh, Disney's actually under a lawsuit right now from Disneyland pass holders because of their just their program is so awful and not yeah. meeting expectations, stuff like that. So in Disneyland, they open up those. They're also allowing park hopping now at 11 a.m. instead of 2 p.m., which is what it was before. Um, and then at, at Disney World, they... Um, they announced that they will no longer be charging for parking. And I mean, we're talking like at, at, at the, at, at the, at the, at the resort, resorts, resorts. Yeah. Right. So, you know, uh, if you were staying at a value resort before you were paying $15 a night, uh, if you're like a deluxe, you're like paying 25, $30 a night. And this is already on top of everything else. And so Disney got rid of all of that and they've gone back to complimentary parking at the hotels. Furthermore, if you are a hotel guest, they went back to you can park for free at the parks, which is huge. I mean, Disney World is the size of San Francisco. Okay, like this is big. Um, 
And so that was huge that you're actually giving something free. But what was funny is like Disney Twitter immediately is like, well, when do I get Magical Express back to like, well, when do I get this back for free? Give a a little, Uh, take a lot. Give give a little, take a lot. The other two big things that they announced that uh, a lot of people are excited about, but I got to say I was actually bemoaning a little like I was a little, little sad about one, if you buy Disney Genie, which is the uh, far inferior and far more expensive <laughs> version of Fast Passes, which were really big. If you buy that, you get free uh, the the photos they take of you on the rides. You get those for free, uh, which I'm looking at that going. That just means you're going to double down on this just uh, Genie Plus and charging me to skip lines like that tells me you're adding a little bit to that because you have you have no intention of getting rid of that so as much as people are like oh that's cool i'm like "Mm, i don't know if i like that news because you're telling me this is staying around they're trying to beef up the value yeah exactly then the other thing they announced that a lot of people were super excited about is while disney world pass holders no longer have to make a reservation to go to the park after 2 p.m. Oh, okay. So one of the big complaints everybody is complaining about right now is like, you can't just buy a ticket and go. You have to buy a ticket and then also make a reservation for the park that you right, want to yeah. go into that day. And there's limited par- There's limited reservations based off of your ticket type and everything. And it's just made everything super complex for people and it made sense in the like the heaviest parts of the pandemic, but now all other theme parks have gotten rid of those things, but Disney hasn't. They've held on to it. And again, there was a lot of people who were really excited about it, but for me, I'm looking at that going, no, this means the reservation system's not going anywhere. If you're making mm-hmm. this caveat for pass holders, oh, they don't have to make a reservation now if it's after 2 p.m., all that signaling to me is, oh, that reservation system's not going anywhere. Anywhere, anytime soon. Anytime soon. So these are the big announcements that Disney made last week. And I gotta, I think it's worth mentioning, we're, we're a Disney podcast, but Universal made some rather huge uh, announcements and moves last week. First of all, uh, they began soft opening the new theme park that you, my friend, are going to have to go to. Oh, yes. Um, it, they've opened it in Hollywood, uh, Universal World. Studios Ho- Hollywood, and it's coming to the the new epic universe that they're building in Orlando that will open in 2025. Oh, we've got it circled. We've got the year circled until we know what the date is. Mario, Nintendo, like this, and it looks sweet. I don't know if you watched videos oh, or looked wa- at any of this. We've watched all the Tokyo ones multiple times. So don't this don't talk so to sweet. me about do I know what it is. We all yeah. <laughs> So Disney's making all these little moves and stuff like that, and Universal's like, we're going to go ahead and soft open this new advanced amazing land. Oh, and by the way, you know that really popular thing that we have called Holly, uh, Halloween Horror Nights? that we make a buttload of money on, we're going to open a permanent year-round version of that in Las Vegas. Wow. They announced that last week, which is huge. That's super Um, cool. That's super cool. Then furthermore, just in case that wasn't enough to like 
contradict these little announcements Disney was making. Universal went ahead and said, you know what? We're going to open a brand new theme park in Texas. That's what you sent me. And they it and it is geared towards like parents with smaller children, with younger children. It's going to be like a little bit of a smaller geared towards that family demographic. Um, so, yeah, I think Disney's starting. They've they're going to get behind really fast if they don't start making some moves, which I think they will. I think they're. They they see all of this. They know what's going down. They see also that, um, um, you know, they're losing a lot of people. That's starting. Those numbers are starting to hit them. So I'm I'm hopeful, but it's also exciting. I, I like theme parks. I would love to go to any of those universal parks. Um, but yeah, so those were some of the the random park news that was dropped last week. When a lot of that, I'm sure, was to quell some of the investor questions that were coming up and demands coming up, uh, they just announced that the, uh, Mark Parker, who is a Nike exec, is now going to become chairman of the board. That kind of rounded up a lot of their news. But then, kind of out of nowhere... This is, this people, is the big news. Yeah, I had n- never heard of these people before, never heard of this guy before, but Nelson Peltz and Tryan, which is a um, he, investment group that that he owns that he so owns he yeah. runs yep they own about a billion dollars of disney stock just them, shy of one percent just that's a lot yes that's a lot for a single shareholder yeah so nelson comes out and basically they made a whole website have you been to the website restore the magic uh-huh and they have some very they have some nice graphs on here i'm a data guy i enjoy the data talking about how they're basically their stock is what it was like eight years ago, if not worse, and calling for major changes to happen beyond even what's already happened. They're not asking for the ouster of Bob Iger. They want to go alongside of it. But the big thing is Nelson Peltz wants a seat on the board to be on the Disney board, which is rather interesting when you own that much Disney stock why you aren't already somewhat more in involved in it, but I don't know how a lot of these things work, but Eddie, you want to take us through some of your thoughts or maybe some more details about this? Yeah. So, I mean, Disney's got uh, a long history of ad um, adversarial investors or, or um, what do they call these? The, the exact names escaping me right now. Um, activist investor. That's what it is. Activist investors, what they call these. Um, yeah, that that's in essence why we got Michael Eiger, uh, Michael Eisner. Sorry, I mixed the two names together. Michael Eisner in the eighties. Um, this is an interesting one though because all the previous ones wanted to, in in essence, harm the Disney brand in order to make a quick buck. This one seems very different. Like I've read through all of it. Um. And it, in many ways, they want to do all the things that the fans are clamoring to have done. Um, and, and so it, it's it's odd to me that there is there's this much resistance to it. And in many probably ways, because people go- don't like probably because Disney doesn't like being told what to do. Sure. It, and who does? No. Right. Um, but I think there's other things that, you know, you've got to keep in mind with all of this. Uh, 
we like myself included like to beat up on Bob Chapek and like, oh, he was horrible and all this stuff. Like, like the majority, almost all of the changes that we hate or dislike, those actually happened when Iger was CEO. Sure, Chapek was uh, chairman of the parks and but I mean, Iger had the f- more far reaching, like the endless remakes of Disney classics into uh, live action. That's an Iger playbook, you know, like the majority of the thing, like Chapek only had the reins for like 18 months. Coming in hot here, Eddie. Coming I know, after Iger. I know, no. I'm not coming after him. I'm just saying like, you have to take it as a whole and go, eh, I think the points that this Tryan website and like what he's trying to do actually makes a lot of sense. Like the problems with Disney drifting away from their brand I've been around for a while and they need some some harsh reality that if they're going to survive and be the big company that they have, you know, want to be, they have to make some adjustments like they they are bleeding demographics. Right. There was a report kind of leaked out there that they're losing people over 55 because of all the politics stuff. Those are your older little more conservative people. They don't like Disney going into all these politics stuff. You're losing a lot of people, at least from the parks demographic, our demographic, families with young children, because we can't afford it. Like it's just getting more and more and more expensive. You're either, you know, doing less or, or not going as often, those types of things. And so they're, they're damaging the long-term validity of the brand and all this. And that's the stuff that he's pointing out in this document. To which it's going, well, okay, why not? But this is what he does. Like, he's done it with Procter Gamble. He did it with uh, uh, Madison Square Garden Entertainment. Like, he buys up a whole bunch of stock, you know, muscles his way onto the board and advocates all of these different changes so that that it starts making a whole bunch of money. Speaking of Madison Square Garden, when I that was the only piece of this where I was like, oh, wow, all of this is really good. Then I saw this little nugget that said that he is a friend of James Dolan, who is the current resident because the Phoenix owner is about to be sell his stake in his team. James Dolan is going to be the reigning worst owner in the NBA. He's horrible. He's horrible to work with. He is not a good human being. So when I saw that he was BFFs with James Dolan, I, I took a huge step back of like, uh, I don't really care for that, but everything else seems to be in a better place, even though it is a, it basically is a power struggle. But um, that, I just wanted to call that out. Like that was a red flag for me of like, oh, you're BFS with the crazy man. Yeah, but I mean, they're all crazy people, right? right. Like the, right. the whole Wall Street system is all of these there. You cannot get to these levels without high levels of greed. You're right. Um. And, and that goes, I would say, for, you know, I don't know any of them personally, but I would imagine for most of the people there on the Disney board currently, right? Um, and even some of these changes with Mark Parker coming on, they had to do that anyway. Their board has rules where you can only be on the board for 15 years. Susan Arnold, the outgoing chairman, she ha- was already on there for 15 years. So, you know, th- some of these things are just kind of natural shifts and moving around of different things. What's interesting is, I think he makes some valid points. He makes them because he wants to make money off of Disney. I like them because I think it kind of brings back some of the 
the Disney difference in value that, you know, we loved. And okay, we're seeing a little bit of movement. But at the end of the day, they're a giant, giant business and corporation that has the sole purpose of making as much money as possible. It's shareholder value. Eddie. There you go. Shareholder I value. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to scream. Which is crazy because that means it's not really about making money. It's about perceived value. Yep. Well, that's why it did so well when Disney Plus first came out because they're like, oh, look at all these subscribers. Look at all these subscribers. And then the moment they started saying, well, are you profitable? Then they changed the math. And then all of a sudden, the, yeah. they started tanking. But We're not profitable. We're actually losing billions of dollars. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I, I just look, I try and look at this a little more holistically and, and try and keep the emotion out of it of, okay, the problems existed long before JPEG. Just because Iger and the shift around doesn't mean some magic wand's going to be waved and we get to go back to the, to the old Disney. Um, yeah, this guy's got intentions. But some are good, some are bad. We'll see what it is. Needless to say, I think 2023, it'll be interesting. I, I, I'm I'm curious to see where we shake out. What you know? What's streaming going to happen? You know, will we finally get to see some? What is the era of streaming going to settle into and be profitable? You know, I think we'll we'll start to see some major moves in that this year. Parks and all of those different things, um, and Disney big big shifts and, and moves there. Maybe we'll, we'll go see. back and Netflix is the only thing remaining. And Wouldn't that be o- funny? That'd be super funny. Although I don't, I think it'd be harder to do this podcast if all there was was Netflix. Uh, do you remember though when Netflix would mail you the DVDs? I don't miss those days. I kind of liked it though. There was a bit of anticipation, and I was always worried the- that they'd get scratched and it wouldn't work. Mm. Well, that would that would happen. You would get a disc, and it was like it was okay. so scratched up you can watch it. And you're like. Shoot, I've got to wait for this to mail back, them to receive it, and send me the next one. But that is here nor there. Thank you, Eddie, for all of the Disney updates today. Thank you. We are all indebted to you. But that is not why you are here today. No. No. Uh, Today, we are here to continue talking about all of the Disney movies from 1988 to 2005, aka our childhood, as we get into an epic battle here. An epic, not battle between us, but just an, an epic genre defining movie that set the world ablaze and that is the movie that we were talking about today it is pirates of the caribbean curse of the black pearl cue the disney sound effect okay so the imdb description for pirates of the caribbean the curse of the black pearl Blacksmith Will Turner teams up with eccentric pirate Captain Jack Sparrow, with quotation marks, to save his love, the governor's daughter, from Jack's former pirate allies, who are now undead. I love the the air quotes on Captain Jack yeah. Sparrow. Yeah, you're 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 giving away like a um. A little eccentric detail of the character that I don't need in a quick description. Nope. Don't need it at all. Don't know why they did that. But alas, that's what most of these IMDb descriptions do. So Disney Plus. Yes. Waiting for that. Did, are you ready for this one? Oh, yeah. 
Jack Sparrow and Will Turner partner to save the governor's daughter. We have no idea who any of these people are. What? You got to give ex- a, a, you got to give a little bit more. Like a little bit. Pirate and blacksmith need we needed some of that. Sorry. We needed Disney something. Plus a little bit too. Not not good. You I do usually lo- do pretty Yeah. Uh Eddie w- I just remember this being like lightning in a bottle when it came out. Like everyone was talking about it. We all wanted to see it. We watched it multiple times. I mostly saw it once it came out um on a DVD. I didn't see it in theaters. Actually. I have not I did not see this in theaters either. I don't know why I didn't cuz you would think or especially you wouldn't you would have been there like opening night for something like this. But maybe we all just assumed it wasn't going to be good, but I remember watching this multiple times at friend's house when it came out like it was a big deal so it came out july of 2003 like i think we were that i think that was the summer like we had we had gone we went to brazil yep we went we did like two weeks at camp we had our camp week for sure trip yeah we're just gone we must have just been gone. gone So I think we were just gone all summer and and kids, for those of you listening back in the day, when you didn't see a movie in the theater, you would have to wait months <laughs> for it to come out on DVD. Now, DVD back is, in our are, day. <laughs> these, are these little shiny discs. Um. So yeah, like I remember, I want to say like it came out on DVD in December. Mm-hmm. I remember it around Christmas time or whatever. And a whole bunch of people came over to our house. And it was like a mixture of some of my friends and my sister's friends coming home from college. And we all watched it together, like like a Sunday night or something like that. Um, and that was the first time. Sunday night because I would, that's Survivor night. But it's Christmas, so there's not Survivor, anyway. Just <laughs> well, only this. It would only it, when it's in season. Uh, only when it's in season. Survivor would have been out of season by then, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, I remember being all together and watching this. And you're right. Um, I think you alluded to this earlier. I think immediately everybody felt this. This is a new. This is a new type of movie, especially for the genre where they had transferring the 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 amount of pomp and circumstance that they had for what was just adapting a ride from just a ride from disneyland they had all the other versions of this from uh the bears um to even the same year the haunted man the haunted mansion comes out in a few a few months later a few months later we'll be reviewing that that soon cover that soon none of those got the same level of investment that this picture got. It just like blew the doors. I mean, it's Jerry Bruckheimer. So that's a big reason why, but it was 140, it was $140 million budget. That's pretty hefty. Yes. But all you think about all of uh, anything on sea automatically is going to be even more, um, more costly, but then you're in all these different locations and areas and tons of CGI um, but I just remember watching this being like, what is this? This is amazing. This is exactly the kind of movie that I want to be watching. Um, just all of the intent. And then, of course, we're getting um, some big name actors in this with Johnny Depp, 
Um, Orlando Bloom, who's in the middle of his Lord of the Rings run at this at we, this time, or at the end, or at the end of his Lord of the Rings run, is that around there? This would have been perfectly placed. Yeah. So, oh, one would have been Fellowship. Oh, two, two towers. This comes out in July, and then in December, uh, Return of the King gets released. So he has a three year run there where like he's in the biggest, yeah, the four biggest movies of that time. And then we get Kira Knightley, who's been in some other things, but this is where she really comes Thanks. onto the scene and becomes who who she is. And we even, and then of course we also get like Barbosa, which is a great performance by Jeffrey Rush, iconic performance by Jeffrey Rush. Um, Can okay, so you bring up Jeffrey Rush. I want to say something that I think I don't. I would say the reason this movie works as is great as it works is because of Jeffrey Rush's performance as Barbosa. I'm here for your Ted talk. Let's go. That being said, I think you equally have to say it also is because of Johnny Depp's performance. Yes. Which he gets all the love for it. Cause he right. He gets all the created, attention. Cause he created a character that's never been seen before. And right. He is iconically him and no one can ever play that character ever. But I don't think that character works as well as it does if you don't have that counterbalance of of Barbosa. Well, Barbosa is kind of the straight man in this in this scenario. If you're thinking of a comedy playing off right. of each other, he's but the then, straight narrow guy. Yeah. But then Barbosa is also the the over the, like the the quintessential pirate. Yep. Like the, 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 the sayings, the, the, the accent, everything down to the edge, but it's not cheesy. It's not campy. It is. He's believing perf- He's believing and you believe it. That's why I'd say like, I, I think as I rewatched it for, for our recording, that's what really hit me where I'm going. His, I mean, he's a fantastic actor, um, but this performance in particular you just see like it is so central to this whole thing working, which is something we talk about all the time. If you don't have a really good, strong, bad guy, you don't have a movie. Um, and he is the, the I mean, there's a lot of uh, we're trying to explain this. We let Lewis kind of watch the, the beginning of it a little bit. And he's like, who's the bad guy? Right. Like, that's always his first question. And we're like, and it's a little complicated in this movie. Um, but I mean, in essence, I would say Barbosa is the bad guy. And it, it his performance is so good. And I think it it just is what it's the salt that just makes the whole meal come together and work perfectly. That's my that's my little like little side rant that I just had to get off my chest here. Thank you. Love you're it. welcome. I agree. Uh speaking on the other side of the equation, Johnny Depp. Kind of talked about how he he created this character that's iconic and will never be duplicated again, even if anybody tries. Like they shouldn't he try. A, he got an Academy Award nomination for this role. It, it was kind of it was kind of deserved. I love that when they asked him where he got it from, he said he mixed a little bit. He his it was the soul of Keith Richards, basically, is who mm-hmm. he pulled this from. And then when you see Keith Richards in the second one, third third one, yep. Uh, one thing that someone called out that I was looking for in this, I don't know if it holds up, but I loved the idea of it, so I'm going to share it, is that they said, if you watch him 
on land, he acts like he's drunk, but when he's on a boat, he acts, he walks straight because he's, uh, it's all about his sea legs. I don't know if that's totally true. Maybe he played it up more in other ones. I was looking for that, but I was like, that's a great, if he did, that was a great way to do that. Um, but anyways, uh, there's so many good characters. We talked about so many. We didn't even throw in there like Mr. Gibbs, who's in there. We have uh, Commodore Norrington, who in future film in future films goes even crazier. But he plays a very he plays the perfect kind of like uptight good guy that um, you just you're like no, I don't want you. I don't want you getting the girl in the end. And his demise is is spectacular. But go ahead. I think you're about to say something. No, you are. You're. You're like rattling off these like really great, uh, um, amazing points. Like like quickly, and I'm like, oh, hold on. I want to. I, oh, I want to. So go for it. Expand. Expand, Eddie. Well, I I agree wholeheartedly with with um with Norrington. I think he is he is the 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 straight faced guy in this that. You, you bounce all the other things off of just kind of give you that um, right in comedy. Everything's always the crazy characters funnier when you put him next to the, the straight character to give you that, that counterbalance um, Gibbs. I Gibbs gives something that I think so many other movies miss. You need these expositional moments right you need these little monologues where you just kind of explain some narrative to get the to get to the next piece you know what i'm talking about um in in so many movies the the exposition when a character has to just dump a whole bunch of exposition it's boring it doesn't really captivate you but Gibbs has several moments in this movie from the beginning to the end where he's got to give these little like pirate exposition moments that are are fantastic. Riveting. That just riveting. And it actually kind of becomes a shtick in the in the in the the franchise where it's like about every movie they they and they know it like they got to give Gibbs his little like pirate exposition moment. But in, in watching this one in particular, it, it's so good. It's like, oh, this is where you can give exposition but not lose your audience. Does that make sense? Yep, I agree. I also think, I think one of my favorite little mirroring uh, images in this whole thing is the two soldiers and the two pirates. Yep. Right? You've got the, the two pairs because they, they give a lot of exposition themselves and there's like where they just kind of like catch the audience up on some stuff. No man, the captain's but, the dead, the captain's the sea of the dead would just any anybody like when they go off and on and on and on it. Yep. But and, and it's delivered in such a, a lighthearted comical thing. The two mirror each other so well. Um, yeah, there's there's so many layers to to those five characters in particular that I really enjoy, and, and I feel like with Gibbs. The two, and they're escaping me their names, the two pirate guys. Pintel and Reggetti. There you go. Pintel I, had to, and I had to look it up because I never knew what their actual names were in the, in the, in the series. Franchise. And then, you know, Barbosa and with, with, um, with Jack Sparrow, you get 
the pirates of the Caribbean. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, you delivered. You gave me some really good pirate characters that are over the top, um, you know, just larger than life. But it works. I'm, and scary. I'm and a little characters. bit scary. And a little scary. Yeah. Especially with, uh, loved the use of the moonlight. That was a different twist on uh, these undead pirates uh, that when I first saw, I was not expecting. I was like, oh, whoa. And like catches you off guard when the moonlight comes in and his hand turns into uh, uh, a skeleton or like when they're on the bottom of the sea and they're like walking on the bottom of the sea to come up and, and surprise them. Uh, that was great. It was very moody, very like, like very, um, yeah, it just felt so good. It was like, yes, this is the kind of thing I want to see from a pirate movie that's a little bit different and, and it's got some supernatural elements to it. Yeah. And, and, and those supernatural elements like don't overpower the movie. Yep. Like that's, that's what I feel like in some of the later ones. Um, sometimes that can just overpower the, the core story a little too much. And and the way they um, reveal that is so well done. Like just the little hand through the 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 prison bars that actually like if you're not watching super carefully, you kind of miss it. Like mm-hmm. what actually happened there, and you don't explain it. We don't know anything. And I think the second reveal with the pirates on the deck of the ship yes. with her that is a fantastic sequence. That is the moment with Jeffrey Rush as Barbosa that you're just in love with him as a character. Like, this is such a fantastic character. I want more. And I love that the, the ride tie-in of the, the skeleton drinking the rum through his, his rib cage mm-hmm. is, is him in that moment. Like working that element in from the ride into there right at that moment. I'm like, here we go. Like, this is how you adapt a ride like this, where you just seamlessly plant those things into the story and it works so well. You, you, oh, it's just so good. The dog, the dog with it, with the, with the keychain needed that moment. That's one of the most iconic inside of the entire thing. Um, we'll talk more about the ride kind of near the end because there's some cool things that have happened since this movie came out. Um, had to call out i forgot when we were talking about jeffrey rush uh when he says when the like the code the code the code it's like you know the code is more like guidelines than actual rules um back on johnny depp when the back and forth between when they kept on saying that's got to be the worst pirate i've ever seen and then at the end when he steals the ship he's like that's got to be the best pirate i've ever seen (laughs) Um, when they're or i love his you um you are arguably the worst pirate I've ever heard of. And he goes, but you have heard of me. <laughs> Those are just like the magical moments. I don't know if that was improv. Maybe it, maybe it was in the script, but I just assumed that that. Um, Did you yeah. write a whole bunch of lines down? Because I found myself just going, I don't know if I can write all these down because there's so many good lines. This is one of my favorite things to do in movies that I love to write down the lines. Uh, how many times must I ask you to call me Elizabeth at least once more? Like that's a <laughs> little, little nod to, um, uh, as you wish, as you wish. Uh, we also get, um, when they're walking on the seafloor, he says, this is either madness or brilliance. And he says, it's remarkable how much those two things coincide. <laughs> uh, 
you're a doubt, um, but you have heard of me. Uh, when she's like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And he said, yes, I'm a bit nervous myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this deck is off limits to civilians. He's like, if I see one, I'll let them know. I'll let them know. <laughs> um, take what you can, give nothing back. Pain, try wearing a corset. Like, there's just like a lot of great one-liners in here that um, very memorable, memorable moments. Um, I love the Jeffrey Rush line to uh, Keira Knightley there where you best be, uh, you best believe in ghost stories because you're in one. Like, oh, it's just like such a great little moment. Um, everything that comes out of, of, of Johnny Depp, like his delivery of all of these lines are, are so well done. Yeah, it's mesmer. That's a great way to put that. We're just, captivates you you want to hear more from him so i try to think of things that that i didn't care for and that i didn't care for in this film um the probably the biggest piece of this that i thought needed that like went on and on and on a little bit too long was how often they would steal re-steal and steal the ships again and i couldn't keep up sometimes with wait a minute who has this ship and which ship are we on to now and okay oh they did get it back oh no now they didn't now they're Who's captured again? Some of that felt a little belabored, and maybe they were m- making that the joke of the back and forth, and maybe that was a nod to um, uh, Treasure Island because that same kind of thing happens in Treasure Island. Sure, I think maybe that's kind of where they're going with it. But kind of near the end, where it's like they get all the way to the chest and the coins, and then they're like, "But we're not going to put the last one in." Okay, let's go back and let's um, fight the people first, and then they come back and they in and out. I think that's where I got a little, it was a little labored for me. Um, I would agree to that. And so that's kind of, kind of said that, especially when it's the ending and it needs to really land the land. Well, that's where I was a little sad about the third act just drags a bit. And I wonder it's because like we, we come back to the chest. Like we were already at the chest. We leave and then we come back. Yes. Um, then they leave again. Um, yeah, that third act just kind of drags a little bit. And I think also I love the they deliver on the the swashbuckling, right? Like there's great sword fighting and just kind of epic uh swashbuckling fights or everything. But my biggest complaint against and it's only going to grow from here with all, every subsequent film. <laughs> those just kind of go on and on and on and on. Where I'm like, I think you could easily trim a minute or two out of each of those sequences, and it would be a much tighter, much more enjoyable uh, experience. But I agree with you. There's something about that ending, that third act, that really drags. And in particular, you get the 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 kind of the ending, you everything, and then we go back to Port Royale and the hanging that. That kind of drags a little bit too. That just kind of takes a little too much. Um, yeah, I think there's just some pacing issues with with those things. But sadly, that that just gets worse with each pirates movie. They just kind of drag that on more and more. Yeah, that's the thing with this series is well, one, it made so much money. It would just go on to make buku money every single time they'd make another one of these. But this was honestly the high point. This was the highest point in the series. Um, in, in Story-wise. Story-wise, the most compelling story of any of them. Uh, I can't help but think, I'm trying to see right now, 
if we're going to do any more of these. And I don't think that we are. Yeah, I don't no. think there's any more to go. Whenever I watch any of these now, all I can think of is sitting at your house so we watch the making of series, which we used to do a lot uh-huh. back in the day, and watching them just the level of Jerry, Jerry Bruckheimer. While they're filming, they're filming two and three simultaneously while writing the script while they're filming them simultaneously. So you can tell that the story is a key part, key part of yeah. all of this. But then yeah. also when they start building roads to get to random lagoons in the middle of nowhere in random countries, uh, basically creating infrastructure, changing their infrastructure uh, for areas of people. And everybody. I know it. they spent so much even more on the next two films. Uh, so it's, I think that's why also this one means so much because I remember just being like, this is the highest point in the series, just story-wise and everything. Well, and I think you're right. Um, I think they got, they missed what made the first one so good. I, I think this first one is so good because yes, you've got the swashbuckling, you've got the the amazing pirate characters, um, but it's also because there's a really fun story through all of this. Like the, the whole story of, of, of the, the cursed treasure Jack should have been cursed, but he wasn't. Now he's trying to get his ship back. Like how all of those are, are intermingling. And also, I don't know if you felt this, there, this movie has a little bit of a flair of like a, of a mystery, like a mystery movie. Yep. Like you, you don't, know what Jack's going to do. Like they give it to you so well of he and, and Depp plays it so perfectly. You don't know where he's going to go. You don't know what side he is on because there's moments where it's like, it's obviously he's more of a pirate. He changes there's other times throughout like, the entire thing. He yeah. changes. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, you, you get a, a flare of a, of a, of a mystery to this whole movie that just doesn't exist in any of the other ones. Um, I don't know if it can post this movie um, because you kind of know who he is by then. But I think that's another level of this movie that that really works. We've made it this far. And you haven't talked about without, music. And we haven't talked about music. I heard somebody say this is l- like Led Zeppelin played by an orchestra. <laughs> Um, I could totally see Led Zeppelin playing these notes. Yeah, and I mean, in subsequent films, they like incorporate more of a of a of a rock guitar in there. This this I would say was another reason this film changes categories and creates a whole new kind of uh, epic. Um, the score that Zimmer has written here, this main theme in particular. I mean, it's up there with your Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think most like movie fans, if you'd be like, hey, can you hum a little bit of the Pirates theme? Yes, most could could bump it up. And and it's ubiquitous now, like it it gets incorporated in so many different things. Um, You go to like any Disney nighttime show at a parks, it's going to have a little bit of a pirate score in it. You know, I agree. This, we should on one of these like episodes do Eddie's like favorite tunes, like favorite, favorite <laughs> scores, like put you to the fire and make you 
say which ones that are your favorites. We still need to do the ones where you say the the ones you don't like. We still have to do that in the future. I think you've been shirking us on that and not and trying I'm, to get around it. I'm trying to because I will I will make enemies. Um, the score. Let me. Can we just capture one little moment here? Can we just talk about the introduction of Jack Sparrow when he's coming the, in and the boat sinks? <laughs> yes, it's perfect Beca- because I think what they do visually and and sonically there encapsulates the character. Right, you get him, and all you can kind of tell from the framing is that he's up on the top of the mast, like up in the crow's head. And you get the Zimmer score behind it, just like epic, just on a grand scale. And it's it's your first time really hearing the score let loose. And you're like, this is, oh, whoa, this is the pirate coming in on his ship. And it's actually sinking. And it's like this tiny little dinky boat that he's having to bail out that's sinking everything. That little moment... Uh, the from the grand introduction to well actually here he's this is i love that moment rewatching it just like that is so brilliant to to combine your your framing and your score and everything on that to just sell you the character you know who jack sparrow is before he utters his first word it's a masterpiece Ma- mas- master's work right there the Lord's work. Any other final thoughts, Eddie, for you as before we get in there? I just want to call out that I love that sword fighting in the blacksmith's shop. It's great. Probably I know. I know it goes, the, the it goes best, on long. It's, it's the amazing. The best in all of them? Yeah. It's simple. And it's fun. They, ha- they, ha- they, they play with it. It's, it's, it's funny. And even the ending of it, when the blacksmith gets, gets, the, gets the combination from Commodore, from Commodore Norrington at the end, with the, with the <laughs> knocks him out. Um, and we said it that's works. not fair. <laughs> it's like that's not fair. You cheated. <laughs> it works because it's not a giant wheel rolling through the middle of the jungle oh, while God. they're sword fighting. Oh, I I just got to throw in a little um Zoe Zaldania is in this. That's right. She's a minor character in this. And you're like she, what is she not in? Like what major huge financial earning a franchise is she not a part of? And the only one I could think of is like uh, uh, Star Wars. Yep. Because she's in Guardians. She's in Avatar. <laughs> she's in a lot of them. Endgame. Yeah. Uh, I looked it up. She's in three of the five highest grossing films of all time. Of no course. other actor, no other actor or actors. Can she was that. a child in Titanic. It's, it, it's, all, it's, all hap- <laughs> it's all coming together. So, yeah, I got to throw that out there. I thought that was a good, I was like, oh, yeah, she's in this. That's pretty amazing. Okay, Eddie, here we are. We're at the time. We got to we gotta rank this thing. And I feel like I should say mine first so I don't get swayed. I've been, been thinking about this long and hard for at least a day <laughs> on it, or at least since, since I watched it. And I'm torn because I'm torn between JB circa 2003, 2004, when I saw this mm. and where, and seeing it now again with fresh eyes, um, after many years of watching all the sequels and stuff like that. And I'm just going to go with my heart here and say that this is a five gummy worm. There's just too many iconic characters, too many iconic moments. 
yes, it's not a perfect film, and yes, it does drag in, in spots, but this is one of the most rewatchable Disney movies that we had growing up, and I don't know that there's that many. I think there are other ones that might have done a better storyline, potentially some better... I don't even know that. Like, I enjoyed all of these characters, and all of these plots, and all of the things that happened in it. Kind of, kind of tailed off anything, but I, I, I just got to give it to where I was when I first saw it, and now rewatching it now today, and just, just reliving it was so much fun. Just even now, reliving it here was almost as fun as watching it again. So that's why I'm going to give it five gummy worms. I, I think we also got to remember, like prior to this movie. Disney live action movies weren't weren't that big of a deal. Right. Like if you look back, like, I mean, come on, folks, we just did no, no offense to, to friends of the show, but we just did the Lizzie McGuire movie. You know, like <laughs> we had like Tuck Everlasting yeah. and the Country Bears. We've had some bad the, ones. The, the rookie, you know, you, I mean, they were doing movies like Disney's The Kid, which, you know, I loved. I thought, you know, it was decent. But you had like Mighty Joe Young in <laughs> my favorite Martian, the, the Parent Trap. Like these were the types of move, live action movies that Disney made. And then Pirates came, right? I, I both love that and then also kind of hate that because I also want to mm. think with Pirates, now Disney shifted to tentpole movies, franchises. Yep. Franchises. This is what we need. This is where we're going to make. You know, it's after this that they go and they acquire Marvel and bring Marvel in and, and Star yep. Wars and everything to the like. Um, so I both love and hate it for that. But you have to give chops where chops are due. This movie, I think, plays a big role in why Hollywood shifted. It was the new summer blockbuster. It did what Jaws did to the summer summer blockbuster all those years before. Um so I, I would agree with you. There was a bit of me that wanted to say just five fruit snacks, but I think you layer all those other things in there on top of it, and you have to go for five gummy worms. Uh, do we have any five just gummy gummy bears or fruit snacks? We have one. Where was that? There was one we did where we gave it just five fruit snacks. Um. I gave D2, the Mighty Ducks, just five fruit snacks. So it is precedent. There is precedent. It's going back. Everything you said is true. So I'm I'm not changing. That's why I wanted to do mine first because I didn't want to be swayed by it. Maybe I swayed you. But yeah, I'm just, it was great. I want more of this. That's, I want more. It. I want more of, of this. <laughs> Right. We don't want the, the sequels that came out of it. We want more of the actual thing. But well, and, and it shows you, I don't know, I kind of had greater appreciation for, maybe this is weird of me, but I had greater appreciation for Avatar The Wave Water because I'm going, okay, they, they waited a moment and figured out why this was a big hit, you know, yeah. and gave us what we really wanted there. With the pirate sequels. They just spun them out. And even Spend a ton you know, of money doing it. So you had kind of the the two and three, uh, Dead Man's Chest and At World's End, which has some really memorable moments in it. But it is just 
it is so much. Like you are, you, you kind of are like tired. I remember the third one after I walked out of the theater, I'm like, man, I'm just exhausted from watching that. Like it just wore you out. And then you did um, on Stranger Tides and what was the fifth one? Dead Men Tell No Tales. Tell No Tales. Eh, those good. Five total films. Decent, but nothing like I can't think of any memorable moments from either of those. I do kind of want to go back and rewatch the rest of these now. I haven't watched most of these in a really long time. Me either. Uh, that run from 2003, 2006, 2007 was epic. Um, all what we, a lot of a lot of which we were in college for. A um, couple of the shout outs I wanted to make. One uh, shout out that um, SNL did a spoof of this with Michael Bolton. Michael Bolton, uh, uh, where he's sing- he's just taking over the song, talking about Captain Jack Sparrow. It, that that tune will knock it out of your brain anytime soon once you hear it. Um, but then also the fact that they then how many rides did they did did they make a movie and then they reinsert the characters from the ride from the movie back into the ride like they did with with bringing Jack Sparrow to Pirates of the Caribbean ride itself, which I thought was a great nod. And I still look for him every time I go. Yeah. And I mean, they did it at, at multiple sections uh, at multiple parks. There's Park. a great video on YouTube of actually at one time Johnny Depp dresses up as Jack Sparrow and sits in for the animatronic in Disneyland. That's awesome. And does like a live performance for for I don't know a few hours or whatever. The video is, is quite interesting. And then ultimately when they built Disneyland Shanghai, they made a brand new version of Pirates of the Caribbean that is full on the movies. That's awesome. Oh, we also get uh, um, Davy Jones. He was. He was. They brought him. They brought him over as well for a little bit. I don't think he's still there in Disneyland. Um, but as you're kind of going through the mist, you could see Davy Jones for a little bit there as well. And I, and I think that's an honorable mention. I would have to say the highlight of two and three for me is Bill Nye's. Oh yeah, Davy Jones. On par with Jeffrey Rush's performance for me. Like, these are the type of pirate bad guys that that we want, that we really love. I agree. And such a unique character. Such a unique, unique character and all of that. So, such a great film. I, um... I a treat. Uh, can't wait to it sh- is. can't wait to show my kids this in a couple years. <laughs> in, a, in a little bit. We tried. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier. Um, Lewis was like, what are you watching, daddy? And so like, I let him watch, I don't know, the first 20 minutes or whatever. And we just kept like, no, cover your eyes, cover your eyes. Um, so funny, you're and just like, we're like, out of here. nah, let's just stop. Let, uh, you, you shouldn't be watching this. Yep. So, and with that, your life has been forever changed by another episode of honey. We made a Disney podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your other favorite podcast. And while you're there, give us a five-star review and share it with your best friend. You can also check us out at honeywemade.com where you can see our full movie list. So we continue to finish up going through all of Disney's movies from 1988 to 2005. <laughs> Only got a couple years left on here, uh, including next week as we review Freaky Friday. Thank you for listening. And remember, 
You will always remember this as the day you almost caught Captain Jack Sparrow.